Welcome to the Most Interesting People in Higher Education. I'm Lee Bradshaw, and this is a Noodle Production. I've spent my entire career collaborating with some of the most influential campus leaders. Together, we've transformed higher ed. In this series, I'll take you on never-heard-before journeys from the narrative arcs of the people evolving some of the most respected institutions in the world. You'll get an insider perspective from the mission-driven administrators, influential professors, devoted researchers, and others that are part of the highly interesting cadre of people transforming higher ed. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to our latest episode of The Most Interesting People in Higher Education. We are so excited to have another topic-based episode today with a very special guest, Natalie McKnight. Natalie is a Dean and Professor of Humanities at the College of General Studies at Boston University, but she is also the co-chair of Boston University's Committee on the Future of Staff Work. Remote work has been a hot-button topic ever since the rise of COVID-19, but Natalie was thinking about the trend well before the pandemic. She points out that remote work is great for retaining top talent, and the downsides of a revolving employee door. It's an enormous time sink, and time is money. And and then it Mm. it does give you a blow to culture too, because if you just have like a revolving door, how, how do you build a culture? How do you build any kind of expertise, right? The Committee on the Future of Staff Work conducted all kinds of research and came up with a comprehensive plan for how the university should handle remote employees. But when you boil down the issue, Natalie thinks it's simple. It's about trust. There's something kind of insulting about being told you have to be in your seat eight hours a day, five days a week, when you know for a fact yep. a huge portion of your job is elsewhere. And and it, it, it suggests that an employer doesn't trust the employee, right? And near the end of our conversation, we discussed the intersection of BU's DE&I efforts and remote work efforts and how each complements the other. Because as if she's not busy enough, Natalie is also the co-chair of the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee at her college. Thus, her insight into the matter was extremely insightful. One of the intersections between DE&I and remote work is that you know if you really want to be inclusive in terms of your hiring, then you really do need to offer remote work. It was a real pleasure to have Natalie on the show. It was also awesome to hear how one prestigious university is handling remote work for their employees and to see how it's evolved over time. I learned a lot and think you will too. And as always, thanks for listening and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Welcome back to the most recent episode of the most interesting people in higher education. Today, I'm joined by Natalie McKnight, the Dean and Professor of the Humanities at the College of General Studies at Boston University. She also happens to be, as of 2021, the co-chair of Boston University's Committee on the Future of Staff Work. Natalie, did I get that right? And if so, welcome to the show. You did. Thanks, Lee. Okay, great. That's, a, that's quite the title. I think you might win with the co-chair edition. You might win for the longest introduction. You put me through my, uh, through my paces. Welcome. And I, I guess to start, how did you get involved with the future of staff work at BU? Like I, uh, that's, a, that's a big appendage to your already probably busy schedule as a dean and professor. Yeah, it's a little daunting. So the president, uh, Bob Brown, a president of Boston University, turned to me and the then uh, VP for uh, Human Resources at Boston University, at, at that point it was Ken Freeman, and asked us, this is just really about a year ago, to co-chair this committee to look into to 
staff remote work and having a policy around that because BU did not have any comprehensive policy. And obviously we're all dealing with more remote work pressures since the pandemic. And we wanted to try to have something that was a little bit more coherent than kind of some of the isolated policies we had. So he, he charged us, formed a committee, and we were off and running. We worked hard. <laughs> we had long meetings. We all of last spring term, we were working very hard at it. And President Brown had wanted a report by July. I think we got it to him maybe a few weeks early. And hmm. by August, we were implementing the remote work policy. It's amazing. I saw that you were, you guys started looking at it and like what, what already existed on campuses was the right place. We, I always have a thing we say here, which is like, don't ever start with a blank sheet of paper. Like right. there's somebody else has done some thinking. Right. I'm curious, is that in the context of higher ed that you researched or were you looking across all, all, all businesses and disciplines? Like how did, how did you approach that? Yeah, we looked internally and, and, you know, figured out what was happening in pockets around BU. And there were policies, as, as you probably could guess, you know, IS&T had some remote work going on and sponsored programs had some remote work going on. Mm, so right. we looked at that, but then we also looked across industries and we used some of the surveys that were being done by EY and some other uh, consulting agencies. And there were some really good ones. I think EY's had something like 16,000 participants international. And their survey results broke down between higher ed and then industry. So, so that gave us some, a good context, internal context, external context, higher ed, outside higher ed. And then we read so many articles. As, as you know, there were thousands of articles coming out last year and still come out about remote work. So just to kind of benchmark ourselves against both our colleagues here in, in Boston, because it's a very competitive environment here in Boston, but then yes, uh, again, industry as well. Yes. How many, I mean, tangent, but how many colleges are in Boston? I heard, I heard a number one time and it, I'm not going to say it if it's wrong, but it's a lot. But, you know, a few of the smaller ones have gone under in recent years. It's sad, but I'll give you an estimate based on when I moved here in 1990 and I was finishing up my PhD, I was just looking for any kind of teaching work. I sent out my resume to 60 colleges and universities that were within one, uh, one hour drive of the center of Boston. So there's about 60, there might be a little bit fewer now, but. Okay, the number, the number I had in my head was 80. I'm glad I just let you start with a more correct number. Did you send them out I manually? Did. Like every single mail. one of these? It was 1990, I sent them snail mail. That was a lot of postage stamps because I did not have email yet. So it wasn't, you know, just clicking bunch of addresses and attaching a CV. It was hard copy CV. So like a lot of, uh, a lot of trips to Kinko's, right? Right. I mean, yes. I'm Kinko's. myself, but that's okay. No, I, uh... Snail mail. Unbelievable. And I got one interview and that's, that was here. <laughs> wow. So, well, first of all, did you use peel off envelopes or the ones you have to lick? I'm hoping the former. Oh boy. I, yeah. Was this, did we even have wheels back then? I think we still had, I think we <laughs> peel off envelopes then. I'm not sure. I hope so. Cause that that's, sounds like a painful process. That's a lot. Well, good. I mean, hard work pays off. You've been, you've been at BU for since then, right? That's, that yep, was the yep, entrance. 32 years, right? And I started in a one semester position. So if anyone's listening out there who is kind of stuck in that adjunct track where it's just, you know, a few courses here, a few courses there, and you think you're never going to get hired, stick with it, make yourself indispensable. And uh, I, I don't know if this is, you know, advocating anything, but 
30 years later, you could end up being the dean of the college that hired you for one semester because I am. <laughs> I oh, got tenure. I, I had a one semester position, then I got a tenure track position, then I got tenure, and then I was chair and just kind of worked my way up. Very unusual kind of uh, career trajectory in today's world, right? People move around a lot more than that. I, you know, I suspect a good portion of the audience will take that advice. I think we have a lot of listeners who are either in higher ed. Uh, full-time or considering it, or at least can influence behavior like that. So that's, I think that's helpful. I like it. And not only were you there for 30 some years, you were trusted with the most, the most of the nuances, which is remote work and figuring that out. So uh, not only, oftentimes you hear like the, the joke about like somebody who's been at the university or any corporation for a long time, and that's the opposite of you. You're, you're at the edge of making new decisions around this stuff. So I'm curious, like a little bit more, what this has looked like for you. You're, it's now, you've been doing it for at least a year um, and making changes. And I'd love to throw in some of ours too, if you don't mind, like we're, you know, as as the head of a company over here, we're, we're, we're doing it in real time too. And so maybe we can work together on this call <laughs> and see if we can yeah, I, come up with some new ideas. I, you know, I really look forward to hearing about your experience because, you know, we are still, transitioning into this. In my college, the remote work policy has worked great. Almost mm. everybody can do two days a week remote. And there, there are some adjustments you can do more if there are <clears throat> particular needs that need to be met. But so, so most people have applied, most people have two days remote. I think it's really added to the quality of their life. And that, that's a big motivation behind doing this. And, and it's kind of a, a nice benefit to offer when you're trying to hire people. Uh, by the way, I think it's very difficult to hire people now if you don't offer something like that. And that was another motivation, right? Mm. Improve the quality of the work experience yes. for the employer, employee and employer, but then also to enable the employer to be able to hire other people by offering this benefit. So in my experience, it's worked great. And, and I think in general at BU, it's worked quite well. I think something like 60% of all staff uh, employees at BU now have some remote work and others will be applying. We'll never be at 100% with remote work because we have people like who work in the cafeteria or who do facilities and they actually have to be physically present. Right. I have heard from some deans that they're finding it difficult to manage the remote work because they find it hard to, to get what they see as, as the culture of the college continuing when there's never a point when everybody is in at the same time. Right. I don't see that here. I, I don't see it at all. I think two days remote, three days here still provides enough presence. And, and honestly, Zoom provides enough presence too to keep a lot of culture going through meetings. So I would have to be inside their experience, but I'm interested to hear what you think about that. Did you face culture problems in terms of yeah, kind of spending uh... culture your workplace? So we, we as a company at Noodle had the fortunate reality of having about a three-quarter remote workforce before the pandemic. And that's why I was kind of asking if what your research looked like. And I, I appreciate you sharing about Ernst & Young, and I'm assuming it was the Parthenon folks, which I, I think are great. But uh, anyway, we, we had a mostly remote, remote workforce because of the nature of the, the work that we do. We, we have a lot of folks in a lot of cities where colleges are, and so that it was already part of the DNA. Um, and we'd kind of already figured out what, what Zoom etiquette means, uh, what right. good lighting looks like, like the little things. Like we've kind of already done that cultural stuff. 
And for and for us, and I'm realizing we I'm in New York City where our heat pipes at the office make funny noises every 90 minutes. So if you hear anything in the background, Natalie or the listeners, sorry about that. We'll try to cut it out. But we uh, we have the, the fortunate reality of using things like or some here's some new acronyms for you since it's higher ed OKRs and KPIs. Um, so objectives and key results and key performance indicators. And as a company, we map those towards something. That we're trying to achieve so we already kind of, we could always manage remotely and so if an employee can achieve their kpi in two days right as a manager do i care not really i, I want them to be happy i want them to want to work here uh and so if they can do it in two and everybody else does it in five that's a great employee um and they should figure out what to do with the other three days hopefully they do additional stuff and get a promotion and all that great things we already kind of had that trust cycle built so we, we we're kind of there. I'm curious in higher ed was what, what does that look like? I, I assume there's different uh, TLAs or three letter acronyms um, that you all, <laughs> yeah. that you all use, but how did it, those, how but... did you map? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I completely agree with you that, that there's, there are certain objectives, certain goals in every job. And if you can get them done, you know, that's the main thing. And that's how, you know, people are saying, well, how, how will you assess whether people are getting the work done? I'd say we assess the same way we always do. Did you get the work done? I mean, there's work and 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 we can look at it and observe it. And, you know, it's it's not like I have to be hovering over somebody's shoulder to tell whether they're getting the, the job done. So I, I agree with you completely there. What's somewhat different, of course, in higher ed is that we are a service industry. We have students who are in person and they want to have an in-person experience. So we are doing in-person classes, of course. And then of course, if you have in-person classes and students here, then you need support structure here and you can't have an empty campus. So there mm. is more of a pressure to yep. have people around so that the student experience is you know, really what they're counting on and really what they deserve. And, and, and that's why I think the two, three balance is, is better for us. Totally, you're in a you're in a tech industry, and and you know tons of tech folk work 100% remote. So and in even here, our ISAT department has many folks who work 100% remotely. But if you're in like a, in a dean's office, right? We have students right. who drop by. We have parents, alumni, right? A physical presence. But but if you have a two three split, like what we've come up with, and that seems to be kind of the uh, a sweet spot in general on higher ed and in a lot of industries. You're you're around enough so that you still have the sense of there there, <laughs> of presence there, and and culture being maintained. Um, but you still have the flexibility of remote. So I I, I think that it it just it it provides a good balance for 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 people who are in industries that mm. have that service component. Yeah. Well, and as a quick sidebar, you've said you, you called higher ed a service industry. And I've heard that a few times and I've always wondered. So I'm going to ask you while recording, which might be risky. Is that a, is that a, is that a hot topic to call it a service industry rather than education well, I, industry? That's, a, that's, a, that's interesting. It's a great question. I, when I said that, and then I fully believe it is, I mean, we, we are providing a service and we, you know, people do expect us to be around uh, in person a good amount of time. But I, I say that fully realizing that any faculty members who hear me say that are probably wincing because they really hate anything that, that looks like we're comparing ourselves to a you know, corporate world or anything like that. So yeah, we are, we are providing a service, right? I, I think so. Well, at least, at least the student support 
Um, and there, there's there's functions of it. I think no one can debate, right? If you're walking into the registrar or bursar to get information, that's a you're providing a service um, right. and information. I, that's a, it's just an interesting that's an interesting conversation around what is higher ed, how much of it is service and how much of it is education, and what is the blend? Research too. There's a whole research. And re- component. Right. Uh, a lot of the research component does not have to be done on campus, but obviously if you do lab research, that has to be done on campus. So, so you, you know, there are a lot of complexities to this conversation, but, but I do think that we've, we've come up with a policy that has about as much widespread possible application as you can, as you can have in a Mm. large research, one university in an urban environment, which is a really complicated model. Yes. When I, I mean, now we're down a path. I'm going to bring us back to remote work because I have a few more questions. But when I first learned uh, years ago what R1, R2 components look like yeah. and all that goes into it from grants and allocation and funding, uh, like I was, that was a moment of understanding the complexity of higher ed that I, I don't think really almost anybody really understands. I think we could do a whole episode just on R1, R2, <laughs> or research one, research two. Very complicated, really time consuming. And and folks who help with those grants, processing them, like the sponsored program. Yes, uh, exactly. Another group that do work uh, more remotely than most people around here, the IST people. Uh, and that's because so much of what they're doing is it's not interacting with people. It's it's dealing with, you know, really complicated grant applications, grant deadlines, grant you know, requirements, et cetera, et cetera. This is all work where you really just need to be focusing on screens most of the time. Mm-hmm. And being yep. around other people isn't helpful. I just want to say a word about that because we, because I keep coming back to culture, but. It's funny. I was about, I have on my screen, ask about what culture is to Natalie. And I'm, I'm not even kidding. So please. Give me because I, I find it complicated. I When people bandy that word about, particularly vis-a-vis remote work, like as if, working remotely at least part of the time is going to undermine culture. And then you see that argument all the time. I'm not quite sure I know what they mean and I'm not sure they know what they mean. What do you mean? If you ask anybody, faculty members, staff, advisor, whatever, what the culture of their college or university is, I don't think that they could really define it. What, do, what does that mean? And, and even if you could, like there are certain buzzwords I could say about BU, that, you know, I think we would all agree on, you know, we're urban, we're kind of edgy, we're very international, very, you know, global uh, research one, you know, I, I guess you could say that's culture, but I don't see in any of that how having people out two days a week working remotely undermines that, right? And and so I think, and, and actually, and you could probably speak to this better than I can because of, of your 75% remote work policy at Noodle. It doesn't hurt culture to force people to be, you know, butt in seat 40 hours a week just because you think they should be. I mean, how is that going to help culture? It's not going to like breed a bunch of really disaffected, unhappy, you know, bitter, resentful employees. I don't see how forcing people to be around all the time aids any kind of culture. Okay. That's a big question. So my, I'll give you my quick, my quick answer is yes. Um, I think that the the kind of employees that we attract do not want to be told to be in a seat for 40 hours because they know from experience from the last X years of their life that they want to be told what to, what to get done or what direction to head, not how to do it. Right. And that autonomous feeling yes. uh, drives a culture. Yes. In, 
to tie back. I, I think if you're if you're told this is where the company's going, this is where the universities need, this is what you as a person need to do to grow. Right. And if you hire the right people, they'll fill in the blanks. They're right. smart. And so if you start putting constraints around their time yeah. or their commute, uh, right. and somebody at one of the other 60 campuses within a mile or uh, within an hour, or one of the companies in New York City within 10 blocks, like, how are you going to, how are you going to attract talent? Um, you won't. Have you, you won't. You know, younger. No. Especially younger. I, I, that's why I said X years. Exactly. I was thinking, I'm seeing this too. Like I'm not going to out my age, but um, some would say I'm young. And I look at the Gen Z folks and a lot of my, my, my employees, my colleagues uh, are, are that. They really don't want to be told what to do. No. They're, they're very confident. Um, they know how to get this stuff done. They've been doing it on, they've been on the internet since birth almost. Right. Um, and can figure it out. And like, especially them. And those are the people we want to attract. Yep. Right. And like that. So there's something kind of insulting about being told you have to be in your seat eight hours a day, five days a week, when you know for a fact yep. a huge portion of your job you elsewhere. And and it, it it suggests that an employer doesn't trust the employee, right? You know, you there has to be some level of trust there. Or how are you going to have a good culture? Now, again, this is all in the context of at a university. You do need to have people around enough to keep the place peopled and, you know, some staff and be there for, for people who walk in. But you can do that with rotating schedules, right? right. Um, so it, you did something interesting. You you created an application process for this 3-2. And I want to, um, if we can get to it, like understand why 3-2 and how you got to 3-2, not 2-3 or 4-1 or 5-0. Like why that? Uh, what was the science? You have an application process to do remote work. And um, I think you have a pretty high, do you call it, I don't know if you call it admit rate or approval rate, but pretty high. And I'd love to know to the extent you are able to share some of the specifics yep. around it, like what that looks like to somebody who might be making those decisions on another campus uh, and might right. benefit from hearing this. Right. It, it, it's a very streamlined, thank God, process. And there's an online portal. Employee puts in what they're requesting. And, and, and we recommend that the employee has a conversation with their supervisor first. So it's not a big surprise. You know, things have been kind of talked out at the ground level. Employee puts the uh, application in. It goes to their immediate supervisor. The immediate supervisor hopefully signs off if it's reasonable. And, and hopefully it's reasonable if they've started off with the conversation. And then it goes to the supervisor's supervisor. So in my case, in the, in the uh, college that I am a dean of, <clears throat> and start with staff member, it'd go to either a chair or uh, perhaps an associate dean, and then it would come to me and I sign off. And it's very quick, very easy. And, and in the application, it's, it, you indicate which days of the week you are envisioning working remotely. So it's, it's simple. And, that's and pretty, that's, like that's pretty straightforward. Yeah, it's very straightforward. It's very straightforward, easy tech, very easy to approve, takes a few seconds. It's not burdensome. I like that. And it's, in, it's, it's, in, it's engaging rather than the supervisor or the manager saying, this is who I'm picking. You're right. getting a double opt-in and then you're, you're forcing a conversation. Right. That's smart. It, yeah. Again, to come back to your point about sovereignty or I guess um, being autonomous, right? It, it, it puts some power some some agency back with the employee which is nice you you kind of nodded earlier to uh to retention uh yeah. and attraction and I, I i'll let i don't want to be presumptuous but it sounds like bu was trying to do a better job of retaining 
And so you're already thinking about it. And I, I kind of picked up on that. So if I, if I picked up on the wrong thing, let me know, but I'm curious and, and shout out to BU for a second as we come out this, my, my father-in-law went there. And so I, I have to just, I'll just throw that in there. Um, and hopefully he hears this and uh, you know, there you go. BU alum, what was, what was going on with retention? And, and did, did you have a, a, a clear understanding with exit surveys and stuff like that? Or did, were you going in without information or am I, did I totally pick up on something that's not even part of it and we can move on? No, 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 absolutely. You hit the nail on the head. Absolutely. Retention and, and the ability to hire connected, obviously were huge motivations behind this. And as I said, the VP for human resources was the co-chair with me on this committee. So he was well aware of difficulties we were having, mm. uh, on to staff members who were getting recruited away from any of the other 60 colleges and universities in the area, right? So, so if somebody was getting an offer where the salary was about the same, but they could work remotely and we weren't allowing it, then we lose them. And then, then we have a difficulty hiring a replacement because if we aren't offering the remote work, right. people won't even apply. That would be one of the first questions. Do you have a remote work policy? And if the answer is no, they won't even apply. And I don't think this is going to change. This is not just a pandemic-related issue, as you yep. could point out, because yep. you guys had the remote work before the pandemic, right? Right. Yeah, this is just, this is the wave of the future. It's the wave of the present, but I think it's going to grow. I think when we were talking um, ahead of the game yesterday, Lee, we, we mm. mentioned the four-day week, which I think you guys already have. We have a, something similar. I found out I'm not, I'm not able to share the specifics of it because we haven't announced it, but it's true. Noodle does do something <laughs> that uh, that allows folks to have a more flexible work week. That's my disclaimer and my cover myself on that one. All right, sorry about that. No, no, no. It's all good. I uh, I think it's it's on a few of our job descriptions and things like that, so it's not a secret. But um, I just okay. I got to do what HR tells me. So uh, yeah, we we've moved towards a more get your work done, and if you get your work done, maybe you have a long weekend kind of a thing. And I think that's been really important for our employees they've and they've actually i know it has they've told us explicitly we really appreciate this and um so yeah sure with with re with regards to retention i'm curious how much of it was a financial exercise and i so what i mean and where i'm coming from on this actually i was speaking to um actually i was doing a hospital system recently about something and they were looking at the length of time that a specific dis a specific job um within their system stays and it was about 1.2 years Ooh. so they calculated the cost of, of recruitment excuse yeah. me uh, cost of recruitment and they multiplied it times four because that's where they wanted the the goal to be uh yeah. four times as long and so if they spent a dollar they actually really were spending four dollars uh and they went through this exercise and i'm curious how you all approached it it's like some people approach it financially some people approach it more culturally and uh they're both right it's both. It's a great point. It's possible somebody was crunching the numbers, the exact numbers on what you lose by having that kind of turnover rate, but we all know it. We know it anecdotally. Right. And I'm sure somebody here who's right. the number cruncher has that. I, I don't have those figures, you know, at my fingertips at the moment. But yeah, it's an enormous time sink. And time is money. And and then it is mm. they, give you a blow to culture too, because if you just have like a revolving door, how, how do you build a culture? How do you build any kind of expertise, right? So it's it's bad on so many levels. And, and, and as somebody who has hired faculty 
many, many times over staff here. It's such a grueling process. It takes up so much time. And then you have to onboard, right? And onboarding somebody. And, and you can't expect them to hit the ground running and do the job perfectly from day one. So there's this you know, transition period that, you know, is sometimes a little awkward. So yeah, the, the, the more mm. you could bring down that turnover rate, the better. And I also just use the word onboarding. I do sound a little bit, it's all this time I've spent with EY and other folks like that. Not all academics speak like this, but but the, but the reality is that's one area where the remote work can make things a little bit difficult. Onboarding yeah. new people is a little difficult. I have met both new staff and new faculty at the college on Zoom, and they're not recognized when I've seen them in, in the hallway. And of course, that wouldn't have happened if I'd met them in person, I would recognize them. Right. So, and, and that's just one, you know, one issue, but, but orienting somebody to your culture, to the practice, to, to other folks in your unit is, is I think, slightly more difficult with. It is. We, um, but, yeah. I, I, there's little things you can do, like just, we were talking about culture, like sending something physical other, yeah. than, other than a computer. It can be yeah, a t-shirt. Yeah. It could be stickers, but something that yeah. somebody can have and hold during that yeah. process it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a people thing. Um, and we, we like to touch stuff. We like haptic feedback and another, uh, interesting, like, again, not culture. Now I'm just kind of like free flowing here in thought, but we had an employee recently that said, I, how does it work? Do I just put time on people's calendars or do I have to have a discussion about the time slots? Cause we can see, right. We use a Google suite and we can see when each other are free. And I found that really interesting. That was a very, very specific ask tactical question. And that's culture, right? It, the culture here is you put time on people's calendar. If they don't, if they can't meet, they decline and you have a conversation. But like, how do you educate on all of those little micro touches of culture if you're not in the office next to people? Uh, and right. it's, it's a job. Someone needs to be thinking about that. Yep. So anyway, I, I kind of took us down my own, my own thinking, but uh, it's a... Uh... I think it's important to say, because you know, I think we're both big fans of remote work. I do think it's important so you don't seem like an idealist to to acknowledge that there are some things that are slightly more challenging yeah, when it, you're doing a remote. And I was thinking about that. It's easy for two people who think about this a lot to get on Zoom and record and talk about it, right? But implementing this is really hard. This is not easy stuff. And I, I think we're both aware of that. And it's like, I don't want to, I, I just don't want to come across like, we're like, oh, it's just easy. Just go remote and uh, do calendar invite conversations. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it, there are challenges. It's, it, but, but I do think, you know, we've passed the point where people should be saying, should we or should we not offer remote work? I, I mean, I, I just think people Past should that. absolutely be embracing remote work. It's just how much and how do you implement it and, and who gets to do it? Those are those are the specifics, but whether you should or not, but man, I, I think that ship has sailed. You speak of, Speaking of hard problems to solve, we're, we're coming to an end and I want to, I want to hit on something that I, I assume you've thought about as the intersection. Well, actually, before I go there, you are also the co-chair of DE&I uh, and that committee, right. the diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, and we had the head of DE&I uh, from uh, Oregon on in a previous episode. Fun fact, it's the most listened to episode in the entire uh, last year. Um, it's, it's fantastic. So thank you to Yvette for joining for that one. But the intersection of DE&I and remote work is, is not something folks with as much privilege to have good technology and good education around what, what remote work can look like 
might be thinking about. And I'm curious what the intersection looked like for you all. Um, and yeah. I'll, I'll let you go in that whatever direction you want to go. I'm thinking more around like hardware access and internet access and like that, but like right. educate me a little bit. I, I'm, I'm, well, I'm curious. Right. So I'll try to address the hardware issue and, and things like that, but, but, and that's an excellent point. And even just bringing up that there is an intersection between <clears throat> DE&I goals and remote work goals, because there, there is, if it has many facets to it. And also just let me clarify, I'm the co-chair of the Diversity, Equity, Inclusion Committee at my college. There's also a larger office at BU that covers the whole campus. So, and I'm, I'm also a, an affiliate of the Center for Anti-Racist Research here at BU. But at any rate, so, so I think of, uh, and one of the intersections between DE&I and remote work is that you know, if you really want to be inclusive in terms of your hiring, uh, then you really do need to offer remote work. Because one of the things we've seen in the pandemic is the great exodus of women and particularly single, I mean, yeah, single mothers from right. the workforce. Why? Right. Because they can't really sustain the job they had and take care of these kids or at home half the time and oversee their Zoom classes and things like that. So I think the more that we kind of give some leeway and some flexibility in, in the work schedule, the more we'll be able to retain, hire and retain women. And of course, it's not just women. We've got fathers out there who are single dads too and, and, and struggling with that balance. But we, we all know the reports. We know the numbers. It's primarily women who have left the workforce because women still do a disproportionate amount of the childcare, et cetera. So one of, one of the ways I see the intersection of, of remote work and, and D&I is that is it, remote work in, enables us to be more inclusive and, mm -hmm. and not go back to a kind of like 1950s, 60s workforce where the only people who could come in all the time or who can work are those who could come in all the time who are met. <laughs> so I, th that I think sense. that's an intersection. But yeah, so, but then you, but did you bring up a good point? So not everybody has the technology uh, that enables them to work easily from home. And this was a huge issue in, in K through 12 schools. And people try to address it by giving students tablets and things like that. I happen to work, supervise a, a food pantry in my hometown of Milton, Massachusetts. And I happen to know that, okay, you get a hand this family a tablet, but half the time they have their electricity shut off. So, right. and they don't have Wi-Fi. So, right. Mm, it, people, I think we know the pandemic brought out these inequities that you know, if if you're fairly privileged, you you forget that you know Wi-Fi costs a lot per month, right? And if you're having trouble even paying your electric bill, you're probably probably not going to have Wi-Fi either. So, so that's a huge problem, but that's not really what we're dealing with right now. So I'm just put that aside, but it's a reality. And then, then you have that in the workplace too. So maybe somebody has a job that would enable them to work from home, but they don't have the capacity. Then I do think it's the responsibility of the workplace as much as possible. If they have somebody who they think should be able to work at home and, and they want them to be able to work at home part of the time or work remotely, then I think they should provide reasonable laptops that they can do that. Yeah. And it, it's probably not an expense that the university or the company thought about. And so any CFOs listening. Right. Ultimately, I think less expensive than just kind of churning people out. Bingo. That's exactly like, think about the whole, think about the, the whole self, right? The whole body, the holistic structure of this. Like if you're, if you're losing folks and having to recruit them all over again, because they couldn't get $50 internet, or right. they couldn't get a, the right. right laptop. Uh, you're 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 kind of missing the big picture. So yeah. Right. All right. So um, another thing we agree on. 
this is great. Maybe we'll find something we don't agree on one day. We're, 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 coming, we're coming up on time. And I, uh, I, I always end on this one. Um, and I, I've gotten some feedback that it's helpful. It's like to put a little bow on it. And uh, I'm just curious, what do you want the listeners to leave with? I mean, if they've made it all the way through the episode and they liked it, like what's the one thing uh, that you, that you want to share? Yeah, great question. Well, I guess that, that I do think that remote work has become not just a nice idea, but a necessity. I think we need to be offering it in all workplaces to some degree. And yes, the devil's in the details, but it's not that hard to implement. And I do think it's an important aspect of creating a, a workplace culture that is humane. That, that is realistic about people's hmm. full lived experiences as, as you know, people with lives and families and things like that. I think it's, we've, I think we've had that balance as a culture way out of whack for years, way too much time at work, not enough time at home. And, and people have been suffering. And I think this is a way to address that. And it enables us to be more uh, diverse and inclusive too. If, if you're willing to support your policy with, giving people the, you know, the technology they need to do that. I so love it. Long, I, uh, long takeaway. It would make sense for a professor of humanities to say that remote work is humane. And I love that. <laughs> we well, thank you. Natalie, this is, this is fantastic. I think the remote work is, is an iteration. And I, 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 I always welcome folks back. And I, 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 for this one in particular, like we should get back together and then check back on the show notes from this this recording in a year and see where we're at. Like I think it'll be an interesting um, longitudinal conversation uh, as we as Sounds we think great. about this. We could pick up that culture question again. Yes, culture is an ongoing project. <laughs> Thank you, Natalie. It was it was great to talk to you, and I'm I'm really appreciative of you being here. Thanks, Lee. Bye bye. Bye bye. And that's our show. Thank you for listening to the most interesting people in higher education. This listening experience is brought to you by Noodle the network of online higher education programs. Our mission is to lower the cost of higher ed through a pursuit of excellence in online learning. And make sure to subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use. See you next time.